the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verse 15, where Jesus makes this statement. He says, truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And so in other words, what, what, what Jesus is communicating to us and what he's saying in this passage of Scripture, he's saying, when, I want, when you view God, when you view me, I want you to view me with the perspective of a child. I want you to view me with the faith of a child. I want you to view me with a childlike uh, lens, a childlike perspective. Because, see, it's important that we establish that because being childlike, children have this, this sense of wonder and imagination. If you tell a child God loves them, the chances are more likely they'll believe that God loves them. If, if you tell a child that God is a healer, then a child will want to see and believe and know that God does heal. They, they have this, this sense of awe and wonder about, about themselves. You know, I, I see this a lot even in my own, my own two girls. Now, my oldest, my oldest, she's, she's 12 now, and so she's starting to, she's, she's growing and, and, and her her, her sense of awe and wonder is, is starting to mature as well. And so things that she used to believe when she was younger, she doesn't really believe anymore. And, 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 and we see that play out really in, in the movies that we watch. Uh, I'm, I, I don't know about you, but I, I love action and adventure movies. I love sci-fi. Uh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a real big Marvel fan, right? And, and, and so, like, I, I like to watch a lot of these movies. Well, the truth of the matter is... Um, my wife will watch them with me because she just wants to do something with me, but she doesn't really truly care for those types of movies, and, 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 and she'll watch them to humor me. Uh, my, my daughter Sophie is not really a movie person, but she'll, she'll do the same thing. She'll watch it just to humor me and just to sit and enjoy the time together, but, but even at that, it's kind of difficult. She's not a movie person, and she's not a real big fantasy person when it comes to movies, so that doesn't really intrigue her, but my daughter Elena... That's, that's what we call our movie buddy. She's the one that's always down to watch a movie. And, and, and especially anything that, that, is, that, is, that is fantasy, anything that is sci-fi. Like, like I love watching uh, Marvel movies or superhero action movies with her because she gets just as into it as I do. And, and, and I love that about her because what happens is when I, sometimes when I'm watching with, with my wife Nancy, there are times where I feel like she's judging me. And then just being honest, every time I feel like she's like, oh, she's laughing at the movie or whatever. She's looking at me kind of like, why are we watching this? <laughs> Even my daughter Sophie, there's, there's times where I feel like, oh, I think she's judging us for watching this movie. But not Elena. Elena's down. She's like, oh, this is great. I love it. Just yesterday we watched one movie. She's like, can we watch the second part too? I'm like, yes, we can. And so she, she just has that sense of wonder and, 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 and awe. She gets excited about that kind of stuff. And when Jesus is, is talking in the scriptures here, he's saying, look, when you, when you view God, I want you to view me. I want you to see me in the eyes of a child. But what happens along the line is we start to grow up and we start to lose that sense of awe and wonder because life starts to happen and we start to experience more in life. And 
experience different responsibilities, experience different hardships. We, we get to see the, the, the bad and the evil that's in the world, and we start uh, 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 to get our sense of wonder and awe somewhat uh, 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 pushed down, and, and we start to lose that sense of wonder, even when it comes to the things of God even when it comes to the things of God. And so my hope throughout this series is that we would get that sense of wonder restored in how we view God. That if God says he's a miracle worker, then we believe that God still works miracles. And so week one, we, uh, I, I, we, we came under the, the truth and the fact of, of believing the sense of, of wonder that, that, that my God is for me, Right? And so we, I want us to get that sense of wonder restored, that believing that the God of the universe is really for you. Last week, we talked about this, uh, the, this truth and this reality uh, and wanting to get our sense of wonder restored in the belief that my God, not only is he for me, but my God is also with me. That the ever-present, omnipresent God who is everywhere, anywhere, at any time, the same God that can be uh, in the galaxies is the same God that can be personal with you. It's restoring that sense of wonder. It's believing the reality that, man, my God is with me. And so today, what I want to talk about in this series, and, and Pastor Chris has already opened the door to this already, and I told him uh, as we were ending out worship, I told him, I said, man, you almost verbatim was what we're, we're sharing what I, what I want to share today. And, and he hasn't seen my notes. He didn't know exactly what I was preaching today. And, I, and as, he was, as he was sharing this morning, I was like, thank you, Jesus, because I understand the theme of this entire service this morning. I know there are people here this morning that need to hear this. And so today what I want us to do is I want to get our sense of wonder and our sense of awe restored in the belief that my God forgives me. My God forgives me. First John chapter 1, verse 9 says this, says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And so what that, that, that passage is communicating to us initially, he's saying, look, if we confess our sins. Now, what is, what is confession of sin? Confession of sin ultimately is you just coming in agreement with God that what you've done is sin. You are coming in agreement with God that, 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 that you committed sin. Now, let me just give you kind of a newsflash, uh, just in case you don't know this. When you pray and you uh, confess your sins to God, you're not surprising God about anything. Like, that is not news to God. God has already known you've been in sin. God knows everything about us. He sees all. He, he knows the sins that we committed 20 years ago. He knows the sin that you committed last night. He knows the sin that you committed on your way to church this morning, and he knows the sin that you'll commit driving home from church this morning. He knows everything about us. So when we confess our sins to God, we're not bringing news to God that he doesn't already know. We are coming in agreement with God. We're saying, God, yes, I admit what I just did right now is a sin. And it says, so if we confess our sins, if we come in agreement with God about our sin, what does it say? It said, when that happens, he is faithful and just and will forgive us. He'll forgive us. He'll forgive us our sins. 
And not only will he forgive us, he purifies us. He changes us. We sang it. Everything changes. We're not who we used to be. And so I just wanted to kind of lay a foundation with this text this morning because I want us to start to get a sense of awe and wonder and belief in the truth that you have a God that forgives you. He forgives you of your sin. So let's talk about forgiveness of sin for a moment. And let me just kind of simplistically just break this down for us this morning and just go back to the basics of what it is to be forgiven of sin. What does it mean to be forgiven of our sin? So here's how God forgives. And I, I hope you're taking notes this morning. Uh, if, you're, if you're not taking notes, at least like, like fool me or something and kind of doodle or whatever. Uh, uh, but, but, but if you're taking notes, I want you just to write this down. How, do, how, how does God forgive sin? How does God forgive sin? And let me just give you some basics on that. The first thing we need to know about how God forgives sin is this. God removes our sin completely. God removes our sin completely. Psalm 103 verse 12, reading out of the New Living Translation, says he has removed our sins. We heard this this morning. As far from us as the east is from the west. He, he, he is separating us from sin. So what that means is, is that it's more than just God no longer holding sin against you. Though that's a good thing, but it's, it's bigger than that. He's not just not, no longer holding sin against us. He is completely separating sin from us. He is separating you from sin. Now you are no longer attached to that one sin that you asked God to forgive you for. You are no longer attached to it. You are no longer affiliated. You are no longer associated with your sin. You're detached from it. When God forgives you, he separates you from it. As far as the east is from the west, there, there is no longer an association with your past sin. God removes our sin completely. Say completely. Not 50% of it, not 80% of it, not 99.99% of it. 100% of your sin is removed completely. He separates you from it. You're no longer associated with your sin. God removes our sin completely. And the second thing God does when it comes to forgiveness, and this is probably, the, this is for me personally, this is where I, this is what makes me just sit back in awe and wonder. And this is where I say Pastor Chris was practically preaching the message this morning. But not only does he separate us from our sin completely, but God forgets our sin immediately. He forgets our sin immediately. Isaiah 43, 25, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. So not only does he separate you from your sin, but he forgets your sin immediately. Now here's what boggles my mind. We're talking about the God of the universe. 
the all-powerful God, omnipotent, omnipresent, majestic, marvelous, supreme God who knows everything, this same God makes a willful decision to limit his memory as it relates to your sin. But wait a second. God doesn't have limitations. But yet, when it comes to your sin, he willfully limits his own memory in regards to your sin. I choose to forget it. Don't bring it up anymore. It is done. I don't even know what you're talking about. God, God forgets our sin immediately. That's why God is not like us. Because we don't forget sin. And this is why I'm glad that God is not like us. And this is why it's so important to understand that you have an enemy that hates you. The devil hates you, whether you knew that or not. He hates everything about you. And so one of the enemy's main objectives, one of his, his main goals in life, one of the, the, the primary weapons that he uses against us is he likes to bring back things from the past. He likes to take your past sin. He likes to take sins that you committed 10, 15, 20 years ago. He likes to take those types of things, and he likes to bring them back up again. And he likes to wave them over your head. Like, I see Nancy in church, and I, I see her lifting her hands, praising God. I see her greeting one another. But you know what Nancy used to do? I'm not going to out you like that. I'm not going to do that. <laughs> but that's what he does. We all got dirt. We all have dirt. I want you to repeat after me. Say, I have dirt. Yeah, we do. You may remember your dirt, but God doesn't. And so if God doesn't remember your sin and God doesn't remember your dirt, God is not going to pull it up to hold it against you. When he forgives you, he separates you from the sin. When he forgives you, he completely forgets about your sin. Forget about it. Don't even bring it up anymore. Don't even talk about it anymore because it won't even make sense anymore. Why? Because God's not thinking about it. God is not there to remind you of your past sin. When God forgives you, he forgives you. It is done. But see, here's our dilemma and here's our problem and here's where we lose our sense of wonder. And let me ask you a question. How many of you here have ever Ask for forgiveness, but yet you don't feel forgiven. And here's how you know you don't feel forgiven. You still walk around with the guilt and shame of the past. You still walk around feeling bad about the past sins that you committed. You still walk around with the weight of guilt of sins that you committed 20, 30 years ago. Some of you can't even thrive in your life because of sins that you committed 20 years ago that you've already asked God to forgive you on. But for whatever reason, you still...
still hold on to that, and you still identify with that sin. You still feel associated with that sin. And God all the while is saying, wait a second, when I forgave you, I separated you from that. When I forgave you, I forgot about that. Why do you keep bringing it up? That's how our God operates, but yet we choose to continue living, walking through life, holding on the guilt and the shame of past sin. That's why we walk around at times feeling like we're not forgiven. That's why even coming in church at times is, is a task for you, not because you don't want to be here, but you're, you're afraid that, that, that like God is literally going to strike you dead or something. For some people, coming into church just keeps reminding you of your past sin, and that's not what God intended this house for. If you've already asked for forgiveness, if you've confessed your sin, and God is not a God that he should lie, so if you confess your sins, it says that he is faithful and just to forgive you. And so we walk around life feeling unforgiven. Though we hear the truth, we read the truth, we sing about the truth, we sing about salvation, we sing about everything that Jesus has done on the cross, we sing about these things, we, we walk around with smiles on our faces, we, we walk around talking about the grace of God, but the reality is the reason why we walk around feeling guilty, the reason why we walk around feeling unforgiven, because I don't think we fully understand what it means to live under grace. I don't think we understand that. Because if we still feel guilty, then we don't understand grace. We don't truly understand what grace is. And grace, by definition, is simply the unmerited favor of God. It is an unmerited gift of God, meaning it was a gift from God that you could not earn. It was a gift from God that you in and of yourself did not deserve. And yet he gave it to you anyway. And when we walk in that grace, we walk in the understanding that I'm walking around with a gift that I didn't even earn. I'm walking around with a gift that I didn't even deserve, but I got it. He gave it to me anyway. That's living under grace. But as adults, and this is why people have a problem even getting with our faith and understanding our faith, because for a lot of people, it's just too good to be true. And let me just kind of, this is how we do it as adults. It's kind of like uh, there are times where we've been invited to dinner. And it's like, we want to take you all to dinner. We're gonna we got you. We're going to cover the dinner. We want to pay for your dinner. And so we go at the invitation. But what always happens, that the same discussion we always have after every time that somebody's paid for our dinner, Nancy will tell me, I'll tell them whatever, we need to at least leave the tip. And so what happens is after they pay for our dinner, we say, well, we got the tip. And, 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 and what we don't get is, and what they communicate to us, wait a second. When we say we've got you, that means we got everything. I don't need you to contribute. We've got your dinner and we've got the tip. 
But as adults, sometimes the way we treat grace, the way we treat uh, uh, forgiveness of sin, we're like, we're like, well, uh, uh, God, I know you got me, but let me at least get the tip. How that looks in, in, the, in, the, in the church world, in the spiritual world is, God, I know you've forgiven me, and I know I'm walking under grace, but you know what? Let me pray more. Let me read more. Let me not cuss anymore. Let me not do these things, because maybe if I do these things, maybe I'll know 100% for sure that you are happy with me. If I just do all the right things, God, I, I know I'm forgiven. I, I know that, but, but let me at least do my part and let me at least uh, 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 make myself look more spiritual so you can at least, when you look at me, be happy with me. And God says, no. Because if you add anything to grace, it's not grace at all. If you're trying to tip when I said I've got you, then that's you getting some of the bill. And so it's hard for us as adults at times to fully embrace living under grace. It's hard to embrace that we didn't have to do anything. We didn't have to do a thing to get Jesus on that cross. We didn't have to clean ourselves up. We didn't have to get things right. Jesus said, and the scriptures say, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It's, it's a free gift. It is, it is grace. So we have a God that forgives us that separates our sin from us, and it forgets our sin, but yet we still walk around living with this guilt and shame over past sins we've already been forgiven of. So we need an understanding of what it is to truly live under grace. And another way this plays out for us, too, is when we do commit sin, some of us operate this way. Well, if I, if I just do more good, uh, maybe this will get rid of the guilt that I have for doing the sin that I committed last night or whatever. If I, if I just do more good in life, if I just do more that I think God wants me to do, then maybe that'll, that'll even things out or make it better for me when God is saying, look, all I need you to do is confess your sin. All I need you to do is come in agreement with me that what you did is sin. I'll handle all the rest. You just confess. You just confess. Romans 6.14 says, For sin shall no longer be your master, because you are not under the law, but under grace. Meaning, meaning you're not under a, a performance-based faith. We, this, this faith that we have in Jesus is not based off performance. As I said last week, it wasn't about us trying to climb a mountain to get to God. It was God coming off the mountain and getting to us. We don't have to strive. We don't have to do any of that. He came to us. And so all I ask for us this morning is that we come into an awareness of what it is to live under the grace of God. Because I believe that when we truly have an awareness of what it means to live under grace, 
things happen in our lives. And I want to talk about that here in my closing time with you for a moment. If you have your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, verse 36. And I just want to give you an example of, of, of what it means and what it looks like to have an awareness of the grace of God. What it looks like to have an awareness of the grace of God. Luke chapter 7. Let's begin reading at verse 40. Actually, verse 36, sorry. 736 says, When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume, and as she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair. She kissed them and poured perfume on them. And when the Pharisees who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Okay, so we see this event. Jesus is at the house of a Pharisee. A group of people in the house. This one woman kind of sneaks in, makes her way in, finds out Jesus is there. And Jesus isn't even paying her any mind, doesn't probably even notice it's, it's, she's there at the time. And he's talking with other people all the while. She's standing behind him and she's kneeling at his feet. And she's She's weeping. Weeping so hard that her tears are, are basically washing his feet. Now that's some hard crying right there. Just the tears from her eyes were so heavy that they're, they're cleaning his feet. And she begins to wipe his feet with her hair. So just this woman gets to the lowest point she possibly could. Jesus is standing there and she just gets so low. And she just begins to cry and weep at the feet of Jesus. Not caring about who's around, not really caring about what people are thinking about her, but this woman who the Bible tells us she lived a sinful life. And there are many that believe that this woman's sinful life was that of a prostitute. She comes into this place, into the vicinity of Jesus. And something on the inside of her just stirred up the fact that this man has what I need. This man has the ability to forgive me of sin. This man has the ability to change something in me. And just being in the vicinity of Jesus, she drops to her knees and begins to weep. And she begins to love on Jesus. And I think it's safe to say that in that moment, this woman became aware of this amazing grace. She became aware of this, this, this man that is in the room that is not there to judge her, that is not there to abuse her or use her, but is solely there to love on her. And she got this awareness of grace. She got this awareness that he has something to give her that she did not deserve. And it was so overwhelming for her, she didn't know what else to do but just to sit and cry at his feet. And here's what I want to tell us this morning when it 
the awareness of grace begins to happen in our lives. When we, we, we begin to walk with an awareness of grace, something shifts and changes in us. Something shifts in our heart. In other words, there is a change in our heart's affection when we become aware of grace. There's a change in our heart's affection. The way we feel about Jesus changes. Luke 7, let's go down to verse 44. It says, then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house and you didn't even give me any water for my feet. But she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You did not even give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not even put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. So when you become aware of the grace of God, when you become aware of what you've truly been forgiven of, the affections of your heart changes. The way you feel about Jesus really changes. See, here's, here's something I notice about people in general, not just here, any, anywhere. I think people really, really like Jesus. I think they really like him. They like Jesus for what they feel he can do for them. They like Jesus because for whatever reason, uh, it, there's, there's a sense of, of peace when you talk about Jesus. They like Jesus during the Christmas season because it's an opportunity for us to get all happy and jolly and nostalgic and all this stuff. We have Christmas carols. We have lights. We have trees. We have all these different things. And, and, and I think people in this season really like Jesus. But I'm not thoroughly convinced that there are many people that truly love him. And the reason why a lot of people don't truly love him, because I don't think they understand the grace of God that has been given to them. But when they understand what they've been forgiven of, what they understand, when they come to the understanding of what Jesus has really done for them, when you come to an understanding of what he's done for you, you would be just like the woman at his feet. This woman didn't care about who was around, but see, we do. I can't really express my affection to Jesus publicly because they'll think I'm crazy. I can't really talk about Jesus like I, like I really want to because people may look at me different. But when you're truly aware of what he's done for you, you won't let the thoughts and opinions of others impact or affect how you love on your Jesus. becoming aware of the grace of God. It's becoming aware of the reality that you live under grace, that you're living with the gift that you didn't deserve. And this woman got to the lowest of the low, as low as she possibly could. She, she knew that there wasn't much she could give. She knew that there was, there was so much more she wished she could do, but she got to the lowest 
point just to show her adoration and affection to this man. But there's a change in your heart's affection. You don't just like Jesus anymore. You truly love him. And when you love him, you show your affection to him. Because I'm aware of what he's done in my life. But not only does your, is there a change in your heart's affection, but a change in your heart's affection also changes our life's direction. Here's what I mean by that. Luke 7, 37. Let's go back and read verse 37 again. It says, a woman in that, woman in that town who lived a sinful life. Now, we talked about what we, what we feel that is. We believe this, this woman was, was a prostitute. We believe she lived this, this dark life to, to earn a living. That was what she was known for. She lived a sinful life. And when she learned Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house, she came there with an alabaster jar of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. And then she wiped him with her hair. She kissed him and poured perfume on them. Poured this costly perfume on the feet of Jesus. Now, what's interesting about this is that if this woman was a prostitute, and this is how she earned a living, this was her livelihood. It probably wasn't necessarily the fact she wanted to be in that life, but she didn't know what else to do. But part of the, I guess, prerequisites for that type of job is you got to be presentable. I don't know other way to put that. You got to be alluring. You got to even be seducing. And I don't know about you, but perfume does that sort of thing. It, it does. And for her line of work, what she did, this, this perfume was, was part of her livelihood. Because chances are, if she's walking through the town and she had on an extra, extra thing of perfume, men who would walk by would catch the scent and they would get a sense of no, like, whoa, there's something about her. Let me go see what's going on over there, right? It was a sense of, uh, of seduction. It was a sense of, uh, of luring them in so she could earn a living. But in this moment, we see this woman take this one thing that was valuable to her, and, and, and many believe that this, this actual uh, 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 amount of money that this amount of perfume was worth was actually about a year's wage. So if you can imagine the, 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 the costly, how costly this was to her and what this meant to her. And so she takes this perfume and she begins to pour it on the feet of Jesus. So not only is, is her, her heart's affection changed towards Jesus, not only is her love for Jesus starting to grow and grow, but now she takes this perfume to pour it on him. And what I would present to you today is the fact that uh, this is not just uh, an act of worship and an act of love, but it's also a declaration to Jesus that I'm never going into that line of work ever again. I, I don't need this anymore. This was very important to me in my line of work. This was something that I needed. This was something that, that would make me stand out above the rest. 
And what she was declaring, what I believe in that moment, what she was declaring, I, I don't need this. Now, I'm only, not only loving on you, not only am I worshiping you, but I'm telling you, I'm, my life is changing. And so what the affection of your heart uh, uh, changed to Jesus does is it, is it changes your direction of life. You will live different. Not only do we want to declare our love for Jesus and show our love for Jesus, but one of the ways we do that is how we live our lives. Your life would change. You would live different. You would speak different. You would think different. And my hope for all of us tonight or today is that we would come to a place of an awareness of the grace of God. And that when we become aware of what Jesus has really done for us, that, that our affection toward him would change. That it would move from just really liking Jesus to all out loving him. That we would come to a place of, man, nothing else matters in this life but except what Jesus has done for me. And that there's nothing or not anyone who, who, who's living right now, nobody in existence is going to stand in my way from showing my affection to the one who truly loves me. And when our heart's affection is changed, then our life changes. Things that we used to do, we just don't do anymore. Ways that we used to act, we just don't act that way anymore. Things that we used to see, we just don't see anymore. Things that we used to receive and listen to, we just don't do that anymore. Why? Because my affections for him are so greater. so much greater. When I come into a relationship with my wife, and I use this illustration a lot because it's the one that really makes sense to me the most, but when I took a vow to her to be her husband and to be in marriage together, it didn't mean that right afterwards I can just continue going on living the way I used to live. I made a commitment to her. I made a love commitment to her. I made a verbal commitment to her. I committed to her before the Lord and before people, before family and friends that I was going to love her. And so my lifestyle had to change. Things that I could do as a single man, I can't do as a married man. Why? Not because I'm afraid to get caught not because I'm afraid she's going to get upset at me, though it does scare me sometimes. But I don't do those things because I love her too much. That's why if I'm ever out by myself, I'm still representing her and representing our marriage. And it's the same when it comes to our relationship with Jesus in that We declare our affection towards him. We declare our love towards him because we acknowledge, man, God, I see what you've done for me. I see what you provided for me. Man, I just love you so, so much. 
but it's more than words. It's a life change. And I'm convinced that a lot of the reason why our life hasn't fully changed because I don't think we fully understand what's been given to us. And that's all I want to do today is to bring an awareness of the grace of God. That you would stand in awe and wonder of the reality that you have a God that forgives you. 